0: at some questions and seeking some responses. Some questions as we begin, looking for some response. What does God say about the professing believer who deliberately sins? What does God's word say about the professing believer who deliberately sins? While you're mulling that over, should a believer consider hardship as discipline from the Lord? We all go through hardship. Should we consider that as discipline from the Lord? See, one head going this way, one head going this way. (laughs) Leroy. Deliberate sin is when you know something's wrong or you know something's right and you fail to do it or you don't do it, you know, just deliberately. It's like dad saying to son, this is what you're to do, and son says, too bad, I'm not going to do it. And he doesn't do it, and he doesn't turn around and do it later after thinking about it. So that would be my definition. Someone else said something about uh, considering hardship from the Lord as discipline? And discipline's not always a bad thing. Why do some professing believers live in continued passivity for years and claim to be believers? Why do some professing believers live in continued passivity for years and claim to be believers? Well, let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, as we read Hebrews and we discuss some Hebrews, remember that the overall theme of Hebrews is that uh, the writer is seeking to point out that Christ is better than Moses, better than the prophets, better than the Old Testament system of sacrifice and so on. And there's also an underlying theme throughout uh, perseverance, that true believers persevere. And in Hebrews 10, 19 through 39, we find that there's a call. It's not the only time it's present, but we find a very strong exhortation in Hebrews 10, 19 through 39 to persevere, to endure, keep going. And I want you to please recognize as we read Hebrews 10 and we discuss it, that we need to take off our individual glasses In Western culture, we read scripture and we think, how does it apply to me? What's this saying to me? The book of Hebrews was not written to individuals. It was written to a body of believers as most books have been. So as we read scripture, we many times think, me, I. I would like for you to consider us, we, as we read Hebrews 10. And as you read through the epistles, also think about us. We, it kind of changes your perspective. I cannot worship God by myself. I need other believers. I cannot be spiritual. I cannot persevere by myself. We need others. So in light of chapter 9 and 10, he has stated some very strong things about Christ and what Christ has done, that Christ made a sacrifice once for all. He is the one who brought sacrifices to an end. And there's forgiveness through Christ and Christ alone. So in verse 19, therefore, brothers. He doesn't say, therefore, brother. Therefore, brothers, since we not since I, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, he's writing to a group of believers. He's talking about the confidence we have, and he says to enter the most holy place. Now, keep in mind the Old Testament. You had the tabernacle in the Old Testament. You had the outer court. Then you had the holy place. And then there was a curtain. And then you had the most holy place or the holy of holies. The high priest would go into the holy of holies once a year. What does he say? Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the believers to whom the author is writing, believers today, we have confidence to enter into the holy of holies, the most holy place, the curtain is gone, and going into the most holy place is by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. See, in the Old Testament, you had priest, and then you had a high priest. Today, we believers are priests. The people to whom the author is writing in Hebrews were priests. Christ is the high priest. He's the one who is taking care of the curtain. We can go into the very, if you want to please, presence of God. It says, since we have a great high priest or a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance. Now having our hearts sprinkled, cleanse us from a guilty conscience. No, it's all about Christ. We don't need a priest to go into the Holy of Holies. We can go into the Holy of Holies because of Christ. What he did, he came in human form. He suffered, he died, he arose from the dead. And remember when he died... The curtain, the veil in the temple was torn. No need of priest anymore, in the sense of priest ministering for people, because believers in Christ become priests. So in verse 23, he says, Let us hold on swervingly. Let us collectively, the believers to whom he's writing, collectively hold on swervingly to the hope we profess. For he who has promised is faithful. Let us as a body of believers here at Rowling hold on swervingly to the faith we profess. Because if Carson is lingering behind a little, that affects us all. If Priscilla is lingering behind a little, that affects us all. Let us as a body hold on swervingly. We do that collectively. I realize there's individual responses. But let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess. Verse 24, let us... Consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us, as a body, Jeff considering how he can spur Daniel on, Alberta considering how she can spur Jane on, Alan considering how he can spur JT on, and JT considering how he can spur Zach on. As a body working together, we said it's a pastor job. I'm to equip the saints, and the saints are to do the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. Apparently, we struggle, we have a battle, and he says, consider how you can spur others on. Study them, figure them out. How can we spur someone on? You know, to love, to good deeds, as a body. Verse 25, let us not give up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This meeting together for worship, this meeting together as believers, apparently has been a struggle ever since the church began. Now we back off from wanting to gather with believers, it's a struggle. The people to whom the author is writing apparently we saying, oh, we just won't get together with other believers. You know, we can make it our own. This is an individual thing. The writer says, no, let us not give up meeting together. So I'm in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. We come together, we encourage one another. He already said, spur one another on. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see the day of Christ coming. If that should have been done 2,000 years ago, how much more so today? Because we're 2,000 years closer to the return of Christ. No, he's writing to a body of believers, writing to a group of believers. He doesn't say, let you individually not give up meeting together. Let us. We're a body. We influence one another. Now notice in verse 26, if we, speaking collectively of believers, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God now he's writing to professing believers writing to those who would claim Christ the call is to persevere to go on and it's in the context of drawing near to God it's in the context of spurring one another on it's in the context of believers Encouraging one another by gathering together. If we deliberately keep on sinning. There's no sacrifice for sins left. It's written to those who claim Christ. And his exhortation is don't deliberately sin. And if you are, you better come back to Christ. And it seems like some of these believers were tempted to go back to some of the Old Testament system of sacrifices. And he's saying, don't do it. It's Christ. He goes on. Verse 28. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy in the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. a strong exhortation to persevere. Apparently, some of the people were deliberately sinning, deliberately, maybe going back to Old Testament system of sacrifices. And the writer says, if you're going to do that, do you understand that there's only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire? And then he talks about the Old Testament If judgment came when they rejected the law of Moses, how much more so if you tread underfoot Christ, who is greater than the Old Testament sacrifices? And I think it's a call to persevere. Some apparently were deliberately sinning. If you keep doing that, beware. He's writing to a body of believers. He says, if you're going to continue to lead deliberate sin, stop, take notice. It's called to persevere. He doesn't say whether they're believers or not. That's not the issue. He's writing to a group of believers. And he would say, persevere. If you deliberately sin, here's what's going to happen. So what's he do in verse 32? He encourages them to go on. Remember those early days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Some of you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison, and it seems like they were in prison because of their faith in Christ, and joyfully accept, accepted the confiscation of your property, Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So Bud and Lorraine get a knock at their door tomorrow. And some officials say, we just want you to know that we're here to confiscate your property. Well, why? Because you chose to follow Christ. Christ. Alan's on his way home from work, and he sees a flasher behind him. And he pulls over, and the officer says, I just want you to know that uh, I'm pulling you over because you're not going to go home the rest of the way. I'm going to take you to prison. Well, why? Because uh, you're turning to Christ, and you have been with Christ, and you need to be in prison. And his call is to persevere. In verse 35, so don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You've had confidence in Christ. You followed Christ. Maybe some of you are in prison. Maybe you're struggling with gathering with believers. Maybe you're struggling with spurring one another on. But don't throw away your confidence. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. He's talking about what's coming. Hang on. Persevere. Keep going. Don't deliberately sin. Don't give up meeting together. Spur one another on. So your property's confiscated. Keep going. Persevere. You have Christ. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I would not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. A strong exhortation to persevere. Endure. Keep going. Don't give up. Believers in Christ persevere and demonstrate it with practical action like drawing near to God, spurring others on, faithful corporate worship, living by faith. Now my next question, what is wrong with it? Am I enduring hardship as discipline from the Lord? Is this discipline, I'm sorry, am I practically showing perseverance by drawing near to God Spraying other believers on, faithful in corporate worship. What's wrong with my question? Pardon? Are we? See, we think individually. Am I? If I'm doing it, I'm doing fine. But if Ruth Ann's not going on and spraying others on, and I am, that's my problem because I'm part of a body. Are we collectively? we live individually. Well, I'm fine. Someone else may not be fine. That doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Let us spur one another on. Let us encourage one another. Let us not giving up meeting together. It's right into body. A while back, I went to a foot doctor, and because my foot was bothering me quite a bit, and uh, He said, well, the problem is that, he did an x-ray, and then he said, the problem is that one of your joints is starting to fuse together. He said, that'll cause some pain. Well, anything I can do about it. Well, if the pain gets too bad, come and we'll do surgery. Otherwise, go on and live. And, you know, he explained in some detail what it was. Now, I found the rest of my body is very concerned about that. So I go jogging, and I usually know I have a foot when I jog. If that makes sense. You know, when there's pain there, you know. The rest of my body is concerned. And the rest of my body will compensate sometimes. And if I come down on it, it hurts too bad, and I start going down, the rest of my body will compensate. If my foot was left on its own, I would be in big trouble. as a body. We care for one another. We encourage one another. We spur one another on. We see someone lingering behind. We don't say, well, that's just the way it is. We go to them. We want to minister to them. We want to care for them. We see someone struggling, we spur them on. Someone needs a word of encouragement, we encourage them. Someone is, seems to be deliberately sinning, well, they must not be a believer. No, we go to them and say, look, if you're going to continue to deliberately sin, Here's what Hebrews says. See, we're a body. We function as a body. We care for one another. And as a body, we persevere. Or as a body, we don't persevere. But again, our Western mindset thinks that we can be part of a body and someone may be struggling and the rest of us will do fine. No. You affect the whole body if you're struggling. If you're doing well, you affect the whole body. Again, using an illustration from my physical body a number of years ago, 30-some years ago when I went to the doctor... The first doctor didn't know what was going on, the second doctor didn't, the neurosurgeon said, I don't either, but you need to have surgery soon. What was growing on my forehead was influencing my entire body. I was told I needed to get my lungs checked, I was told I need to get my eyes taken care of, and a couple other things, and they said, the reason you have joint pain is because of that, along with some other things. One part affected the rest. So that growth that wasn't to be there was removed, but the rest of my body is still influenced. See, Jeremiah can not go through a difficulty or deliberately sin without influencing the entire body. Well, you say, I didn't even know about it. It influences the entire body. So Bill's doing good. He's just having a high-oh time in life, and he's enjoying life. He influences the whole body. Well, you say, I didn't know anything about it. We're still joined together by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And that's where the writer of Hebrews is coming from. You know, am I showing perseverance? Are we showing perseverance? And so on. We won't have time to go over Hebrews 12. Look at some conclusions. And these will all come from this passage, some that we discussed in previous weeks. Allow and encourage other believers to be involved in determining where you stand with God. We are members of the body of Christ. We are not islands. Allow other believers to encourage or. Allow and encourage other believers to be involved in determining where you are with God. We in Western culture put a little circle around us. How are you today? Fine. Anything I can pray for you about? Oh, I'm doing okay. What are you struggling with? Well, I'll make it. And someone comes alongside us to say, You're not doing well, you're really struggling, I can see it. Don't worry, I'll be fine. Do you realize that is deliberate sin? Because we're trying to live as an island. When I try to live as an island, I'm rejecting Hebrews 10. I'm as guilty as you. Don't we try to live as islands? The writer of Hebrews is saying, no, let us. I asked my brother on Friday when Ruth and I stopped in to see him and Diane. I guess I'm more nosy than I would have been a few years back. But I said, or, you know, I was talking to him individually and I was talking to Diane. I said, or, who, you know, and I named some spe- specifics, et cetera, and i stopping in to see you. And he basically said, no. And I thought, so sad. He's not an island. He can't die well himself. He needs other people. I didn't ask him, but I probably should have said, or, have you been reaching out to others? See, we're a body; we need one another. We need to allow others to help us along. I uh, was with some pastors a couple of weeks ago. We got talking about some things. I said, "Okay, okay, guys, I got a question for you." I said, "How are we doing?" And how's our church doing? How are we doing? And we claim to be brothers here and we're interacting. How are we doing? And one of the guys responded, and another guy responded, and they said, Well, that's your turn, Dan. I confess, we pastors are prone to live as islands too. We need one another to stay on track spiritually. Jesus gave a parable to communicate that wheat and, wheat and tares will grow together until the harvest. Perhaps we need to be content with this conclusion. We can't always determine who's a believer or who's a non believer, and maybe we need to give up trying. Ah, is Ruth Ann a believer? You know, she's not been living like it. Well, go and encourage her, spur on and talk to her about deliberate sinning and so on. Let God deal with her. But wheat and tares will grow together. Believers are to confront, rebuke, restore believers who fall into sin. They're not to talk about them or let them continue in sin. Now, for those of you who are older, how many of you remember Jimmy Swaggart? Heard the name? Jimmy Baker. Those are two high-profile names of people who fell into sin. I can't answer this question, and I don't expect you (laughs) to have done anything about it. But how many other leaders went and talked to them individually without talking to anyone else about them? Their name got plastered all over everything, but who went and talked to them? A pastor in our area, goes back a few years ago, his name appeared in the paper for something that had transpired. And I thought, how did his name get in the paper? Why didn't someone help him out before he got to that point? So I went to see him. He just kind of brushed it aside. And I walked away and I thought, come on, why won't he let me minister? We're to rebuke, we're to restore, we're to encourage, we're to spur on. The area in which we live, we at times have been going... We have gone through some difficulties, and I'm talking collectively of the professing body in the greater Wyoming Valley. And there have been numerous times in the 30-plus years that I've lived in the area that I've realized that a leader has been struggling. I've gone to them. I've talked to them. And I've never told anyone else that I went, and I never told anyone about their struggle. At times, I encourage someone else, why don't you go see that leader and encourage? That's the body. So I say to my brother, if this is shifting gears a little, I say to my brother, you're ready to die. What are you struggling with? And he tears up. What's he need? Someone to come alongside and say, or here's what we have in Christ. Persevere. Endure. We need one another. If we're not careful, professing believers continue in waywardness, a lack of passion, because the body does not confront, rebuke, and, instore and restore. Oh, where's so-and-so been? I haven't seen them in quite a while. I think they're not really doing good in relating to God. Talk to them. Go see them. Spur them on. Encourage them whatever they need. Don't sit back and say, well, I hope someone talks to them. Go. If you're aware of it, go. No, wait. Be the body. That's what Hebrews is saying. You're a body. Well, you say, maybe they're not a believer. That's not the issue. Go, interact with them. And we need that. A believer who falls into sin may continue in sin longer than God desires because they were not restored. I have a specific person in mind. I won't give any details. I sense that the person was struggling for a number of reasons. One of them was that the person just didn't want to gather with believers anymore. And the individual had backed off for a number of weeks. So I gave the believer a call and I said, uh, you know, how are you doing? I'm oh, not doing too bad. And I said, really, how are you doing? Well, you know, when there's a pause like that, there's something going on. And I said, really, how are you doing? And then he explained in some detail, the sin to which he had fallen. I didn't jump on him. I didn't condemn him. I gently and lovingly said, you do realize that that is contrary to what God designed for you. You know, that's not the way God designed you. I know. And after a number of weeks... Of encouraging him and talking to him and seeking to restore him, he came around. He departed from what he was going through, he departed from the sin in which he was involved, and so on. I didn't tell anyone else. There was no need to tell anyone else because he was responding. It's the body. You say, "Well, this person doesn't seem to be doing well. They seem to have drifted from God." Go talk to them. Because if you don't talk to them, someone else might talk to them, and that's God's design that we talk to them. But we tend to back off. You know, we're hesitant. What's well, none of my business? Yes, it's your business. You're part of the body. Sinning, professing believers sometimes are talked about and rejected rather than treated scripturally, rebuked, confronted, loved, restored, and so on. Oh, they shouldn't be sinning. They should know better. Well, maybe they should know better. But it seems like sometimes we don't. (laughs) That's why we need someone to come alongside. I was talking to a prof when I was in college, and he gave me a good slap up alongside my face, not literally, but spiritually. I needed that (laughs) because I was developing a habit. And he recognized it after interacting with me only two times. That's the body. A man I respected, still respect, even though he's going to be with the Lord. If we're not careful, we treat the body of Christ as a haven for well people rather than a hospital for those moving towards holiness. The church is not a haven for well people. It's a hospital for those moving towards holiness. So years ago, I go to the hospital, and the surgeon says, what are you here for? Well, I said, you told me to come because I have a tumor. Oh, you're at the wrong place. This is a hospital. We only take well people here. What? Oh, this is a church. If you have problems, don't come. If you have sin, don't come. If you're struggling, don't come. No, if you're through all of them, we want to minister. We want to care. We want to work. That's part of the body. What's Hebrew saying? <laughs> Isn't Hebrew saying, you know, if you keep on deliberately sinning, someone's deliberately sinning. Oh, they must not be a believer. No, go to them, put your arm around them and say, you know, if you keep on deliberately sinning, you know, beware. <laughs> oh, Cheryl needs a word of encouragement. Come alongside her and give her a word of encouragement. You know, it, it's a hospital for those moving towards holiness. So, what do you do in a hospital? You amputate a leg sometimes, you know. Give some medication, etc. What that means in the body of Christ, I'm not going to try to elaborate. We rarely address the bloodiness of moving from being dead in transgressions and sins to transformation to holiness. We struggle in addressing that <clears throat> as we deal with moving to holiness. Take a guy like me. I dated Ruth Ann and I get married and I stood before a number of people and I said I do and I quoted my vows to Ruth Ann and now we're married and we're gonna live happily ever after. It's only one problem, I was quite selfish. Stubborn, bullheaded, just in my own quiet way. There have been a number of people over the years that have helped me work through that. You have someone who has come from an abusive background, whether sexually or physically. And the agony they go through as they move towards holiness. If it's a gal, she may never trust men. So, the very man who loves her and cares for her deeply, if she gets married, she may push away. She needs help in working through that. Come alongside. The guy who saw an angry father as he grew up. And he comes into his adulthood and he's just angry, and that comes through on the job and in his relationships. That's not going to go away in a day. These people to come alongside and help him work through that mess. You know, you really hurt this person. You know what you do with that? You go and apologize. You know, that's bloodiness as we help people to move towards holiness. That's the body. It's not always easy. But that's where Hebrews 10 is at. It's the body, working together as a body. I have a pastor friend... We talk sometimes, and he has said to me a number of times, and I've said to him a number of times. But I think of a couple of times in particular, he said, Dan, you know, I just really don't like talking to you sometimes. I said, Why? He said, Because you make me stop and think about myself and where I am as a leader. He wasn't being negative, and he wasn't saying, don't talk to me anymore. He was simply saying, you're helping me to holiness. And I've told the same guy sometimes, you know, I don't know if I want to talk to you again <laughs> because you challenge my heart, my beliefs, my values. But I value a relationship like that. that's the body. None of us have arrived. Get down in the trenches. Get down there with your scalpel and there'll be some dirtiness and there'll be some blood and there'll be some pus and there'll be some other things spiritually as we help people. But we mature in the process. Where would I be if it wasn't for many of you in your own way, have encouraged and spurred me on and challenged me in various ways. I can guarantee I would not have lasted at Roaring Brook more than five or six years if there hadn't been some gracious people that came alongside me and in various ways said, That's not the way a leader is to live. We all need it.